Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue studying God's Word. Now, on this podcast, Pastor Kirk is starting a new series entitled Reset. And as we begin 2023, we just want to take some time focusing in on those important areas of life that deal with our our great God and King Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, listen each week as Pastor Kirk shares a little bit more about the idea of reset. Now in today's podcast, specifically, Pastor Kirk is looking at the Word and looking at 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 through 17. Now if you're looking for a church home, a place to call your own, and a people to connect with, let me invite you to check out calvaryfedville.com. You can reach us through email at info at calvaryfanville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. If you have any questions at all, send them our way. We'd love to answer and love to tell you more about Calvary. Now let's listen to Pastor Kirk as he shares from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Uh, five disciplines that are necessary for a successful Christian life. And I hesitate to even use the word successful because immediately, most of the time, success to us is measured by things that are not that important with God. I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm talking about spiritual success. And that does not always come through great victories in the spiritual life, our walk with God. Sometimes success comes through defeat, through pain, through suffering. But it is uh, faithfully living out the life God has for us in whatever circumstances God sees fit to put us in. And I believe the first thing we have to begin with when we talk about doing a reset this new year and recommitting ourselves uh, to some of the very important essentials to the Christian life, we have to begin with the Word. And I talk about the Word meaning the Bible, the authority of Scripture. And I want to affirm that to you today. I realize you probably don't need my affirmation But I want to talk about three qualities of Scripture that are inherent to its being the authoritative Word of God. And maybe it is more important than what it first would seem among these believers here. Because every day there are people walking away from their faith, having begun that journey by questioning the Word of God, by questioning its validity. It's authority over our lives and in our lives. These qualities, these characteristics I'm going to touch on and then make an application give us confidence that the Bible is what it claims to be. They provide a solid ground for receiving Scripture as the final authority to our lives. And it's my prayer for you this first Sunday of 2023 that you will commit or recommit yourself to the Word of God, to read it daily, to study it diligently, and to practice it faithfully. So let's hear what Paul had to say to his young 
uh, preacher in the ministry, his protege, this young Timothy, who by the way was probably around 40 years old, uh, and he is pastor of the church at Ephesus, and Paul is writing to him, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You need to mark that verse in your Bibles. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Hope you will pardon me this morning. I believe uh, it'll be better suited to sit here before you, if that's all right. Please uh, don't mean that. That does not mean that we've slipped from preaching into teaching. I'm still going to preach at you, even if I am sitting down. Let me share with you the context of these remarks by the Apostle Paul. This letter, to second, second letter to Timothy, coming about four years after his previous letter, is the last letter that the Apostle Paul will ever write. The year is about 67 AD, and in less than a year from now, he is going to be beheaded. I'm getting some ringing, Steve, if you could bring that back just a little. I realize you're walking a fine line trying to get it where it needs to be without it ringing up here. This is his second letter to Timothy, his last letter that he will ever write. Okay? He is in a Roman prison. Nero is on the throne, and Nero is descending into madness. And a little while after this letter, he will have Paul's head cut off. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he is writing to him and um, just encouraging him. He had been uh, the disciple. Uh, Timothy had been Paul's disciple, had traveled with him in ministry, and Paul had taken him under his wing and trained him in just what it means to serve the Lord and to love the Lord. And so he's writing this letter to him, probably knowing it would be his last 
And as he writes to him, he warns him and talks to him about a number of different things. In this chapter that we read the second half of, in the first part of it, uh, he wrote about uh, what, um, what the world is going to continue to be like. And he tells him that uh, it's going to be difficult, that there are difficult times even yet. Now, they were already living under difficult times. Rome was persecuting the church. Uh, Paul was going to lose his life for the gospel. Timothy was facing that threat every single day as a faithful uh, pastor of a church. And Paul speaks of the last days, meaning days to come, in which all of this is going to be even magnified and become much worse and become much more difficult. He said that time will be a time of ungodliness. Now, I'm not going to go back and read those first nine verses of chapter 3, but let me just list for you some of the characteristics of those days. And you tell me if you think perhaps we may be living in those last days today, though we are not being persecuted in this country openly under threat of our lives, you can see that we're not many steps away from that uh, possibly happening. But as he talked about this time of ungodliness, he said people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. They will be proud. They will be arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, slanderous, without self-control. They will be brutal. They will be haters of good. They will be treacherous. They will be swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, and not lovers of God. In fact, there will be no love for God. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like it could be describing the world in which we live? I think down to just about every detail that Paul mentioned. No doubt he was talking about the days that, uh, that young Timothy was going to see, but he was also talking about the days that we are living in today. He said it would be a time of sinful passions and immorality, a time of learning. Education is going to increase. Learning is going to happen so fast you can't keep up with it. But even though it is a time of learning and an expansion of knowledge, man continues to be ignorant of the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, the truth of our accountability to God. So that's what he said in the first half of this chapter. And in the second half, he gives this message. But you have not fallen prey to that. Instead, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy, you have been a good disciple. You've been faithful to learn from God's word. You have demonstrated a faithfulness to Christ, a faithfulness that sooner or later is going to result in suffering and persecution for you. And then he reminds Timothy, he doesn't use these three words that we, the way we would say it here in the South, but he says, Timothy, you've been brought upright. You had a good upbringing. And you need to remember from whom you learned the sacred scriptures. Whom there is plural. It's speaking not just of one, but of two. And he's not talking about Timothy's mom and dad. 
He's talking about two very prominent women in Timothy's life, his mother and his grandmother. If you want to know why I say that, you can look back to chapter 1 and verse 5 where it mentions his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice that from these two women he learned the sacred scriptures. And notice what he said about those scriptures. They are what are able to make you wise unto salvation. Beloved, if you have any questions if you have any hesitations, moms and dads, grandparents, about talking to your children and your grandchildren about the truth of God and the Word of God, understand there's no need to question that. It is the only thing that's going to make them wise unto salvation. Don't outsource your children's spiritual education to the Sunday morning Sunday school teacher that has them for 45 minutes, maybe, maybe for 40 or 45 times a year after the Sundays that you take off and wander around the countryside with them. I'm just picking on you. I'm just teasing. You can't outsource your children's Christian education. It's great if you put them into a Christian school and pay for that, but you don't outsource it to the, to the Christian school. It is your responsibility, according to the book of Psalms, to set their hope in God. And that word set is the same word that describes how God set the mountains into place. The way that God set the mountains into place, firm, steadfast, unmovable. It is your job, mom and dad, grandmother, grandfather. It is your responsibility to set your children's hope in God. And that's what happened for Timothy. He got it from his mother and his grandmother. Now, notice also in verse 16 and 17, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Notice what Paul said about those sacred writings, the Scripture. He says, first of all, these words of Scripture are inspired. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's inspiration. God breathed into uh, the minds and the hearts of these men who wrote down the books of the Bible, some 40-something of them. And God inspired them. God gave them the message. They are inspired words. But understand, inspiration never comes at the expense and the exclusion of human instrumentality. God may have used his own finger, and certainly he did, to write the Ten Commandments for Moses, but every other word from Scripture was recorded by human instrumentality. And while God inspired them, he did so in such a way that they could receive his truth 
And God protected that truth while allowing the personality of the writers to, to come through in the writing and also the language of the writers to come through in the writing. When you read the Gospel of Luke, you don't get it from the English. I don't either. But if you read it in the Greek uh, several times, Luke will use medical terms when writing down the incidents of the Scripture. For instance, when he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven, he uses a different word for needle. He uses a surgeon's suturing needle because that's what he was familiar with. And that comes through in the writing in the original manuscripts and it doesn't diminish the truth at all. So inspiration does not leave room for error, but it does leave room for personality and experience and the uh, background of uh, the particular person. Amos was a man who worked raising figs and in crops and taking care of herds. He was a man whose fingers would have been stained permanently dark green because he was a fig picker. You know what fig pickers did in that day? They not only picked the figs, but they worked them and they mashed them with their hand to begin the mellowing process so that they would be just right for the master to eat. And so we have a fig picker recording scripture for us. And that personality comes through in his writing. So the scriptures are inspired. They are from God. All of them are from God. Never forget that. Secondly, he said, they are infallible. They are infallible. He said they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Scriptures are reliable and trustworthy. They are without any kind of defect whatsoever. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And there is a vast difference between the two. You don't have to read wondering what part of this came from God and what part of it was added by man. Understand what you hold in your hands and in your lap. It is completely the Word of God. It is inspired. It is infallible. It will never lead anyone astray. It will always accomplish what God sends it to accomplish. This is the perfection of Scripture. These men not only did not err when they recorded it, they could not err. God protected them from that, so it cannot fail. God's Word is inspired. It is from God. God's Word is infallible. It cannot fail. And then a third word, which is very near to infallible, but has a little bit different aspect. God's word is inerrant, inerrant, without error. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This inspired, infallible truth is inerrant. The Bible contains no statements that are contrary to fact 
are contradictory in any way. It is a quality, understand, of the original Bible. If we have any parts of the Bible that maybe are not exactly in what was transmitted, it was not in the original transmission. It is in those who seek to interpret it and paraphrase it. Now that's why it's very important that you know the difference between a version of Scripture and a paraphrase of Scripture. I love Eugene Peterson's The Message. I love the fresh way he looks at Scripture and the way he words it in his own words. But I will never preach you a message uh, from The Message because it contains Eugene Peterson's ideas of what it is saying. That's one of the problems with some versions. When you get into things like, and it is a very good translation, a very good version, uh, the NIV, the New International Version, it contains more interpretation than, a, than a, for instance, the English Standard Version or even the Old King James Version. Understand you want the accurate wording. If there's any errors in some Bible you pick up, it is because someone has translated something with their idea of it and printed that as the Word of God. In its original transmission, the Word of God is without error. Inspired from God. Infallible, it cannot fail. Inerrant, it is without error. And so we come up with this. Scripture is from God. It cannot fail. It is without error. And for that reason, it is authoritative. That's why it has authority in your life. Because there's no other book, no other manual for life, no other writing of man, no other supposed message from some supposed God that matches the Bible. That's why the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of the Covenants that the Mormons hold to is not authoritative. And the Scripture as they read it, has been changed. That's why the Mormon denomination is a cult that is not based on the Word of God. It's not another denomination of Christianity. It is not Christianity. And the same could be said for a number of other religions you and I often mistake as being, well, like us, they just do things a little different. Understand the Word of God is authoritative and it gives us this formula. Inspiration plus infallibility plus inerrancy equals authority. My friend, you will either bow to the Word of God or the Word of God will break you. You will either bow to God's Word and thus bow to God or God and His Word will break you. So what's the application of this? That's Paul's message in this passage to Timothy of the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God. How does that apply to your life and to mine? When we say it is authoritative, how does that work in our lives? And let me begin this part of the application by sharing a couple of quotes. The first is by an old dead guy named C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. 
a preacher who lived about 130 years ago, who was a great preacher of the gospel, and it's incredible. You can, you can have a bookshelf that long of his sermons that are still inspiring people today, and he died before he ever reached the age of 60. He died, basically, I think, of a broken heart, how he was rejected by his own, by his own brethren in Christ. Spurgeon said this to his congregation, Oh, friends, if I did not believe in the infallibility of Scripture, the absolute infallibility of it from cover to cover, I would never enter this pulpit again. That was a man who was convinced of the Bible. How about a modern-day preacher that's still living unless he died since yesterday? Pastor Stephen Lawson, he says this, Because the Word of God is inerrant, it is, therefore, by necessity, invincible. And because it is absolutely pure, it is absolutely powerful. So you hold in your hands an invincible, a powerful book that all the powers and armies and nations of the world cannot stand against. You hold the very power of God in your laps. Why in the world would we ever hesitate to, to bow to its authority over our lives? Why would we find more entertaining the things of this world than the very things of God. If we have the mind of a creator God right here to read and to know and to hear how he loves us, what he has done for us, how we can make our way through this life facing all the problems that life throws our way, the answer, all of it is right here. Why would we look to some other source for answers in life? Why would we read Dear Abby? Is she even still around? Probably not. Why would we look to human reasoning? Why would we look to other people to see what they say and what they're doing? You have the authoritative, the invincible, the absolutely pure and powerful Word of God. It is miraculous in its origin. It came from God. It is miraculous in its transmission, the way He inspired men and protected it from error. It is miraculous in its truth. You cannot find error in it anywhere. If it seems to conflict with your idea, mark it down. Your idea is the problem. If it seems to conflict with what your teacher, what your professor is saying, understand your teacher and and your professor is a sinner and does not have all the answers. Understand God's word is miraculous in its transmission and in its truth. And it is miraculous in its power to change lives. To change lives. Even yours. Even mine. It's matchless. No other book is its rival. We must fall in love with it, treasure it, take its truth into our hearts and lives, and live it. Now that right there is what I believe is the most important word for Calvary Baptist Church on this first Sunday 
of 2023. I could leave it right there and say, go thou and do likewise. But I think I need to drive it home to you just a little bit further. God's word is a sword that pierces. A sword that pierces. For the word of God is living. It is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature, not you, not me, there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things about you and me are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's Hebrews chapter 4. It is a sword that pierces. As one preacher said, it's a sword that pierces. It's not a Q-tip that tickles. A lot of people would rather have a Q-tip of the word, something to just tickle their fancy instead of a divine word that will literally fillet them from head to toe. It has not originated from us. It's originated from God. It is alive. Martin Luther said the word of God is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. That's why you need to read it every day so that you would understand what Martin Luther was saying. The Bible is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. It knows not only what has happened and interprets it correctly, it knows what is happening and sees it accurately and is in complete control of what's going to happen tomorrow. There's not a dull side in the Bible. There's not a blunt verse. Every verse in the entire Bible is razor sharp and it cuts deep into our lives. Maybe that's why we do tend sometimes to run away from it. The Bible cuts through our excuses it cuts through our pretenses. It cuts to the core of who we are, getting to the bottom of our lives. Yes, it inflicts flesh wounds. It gets to the organs. It has to do so to get all the way to the heart and soul. It judges perfectly. It renders a divine verdict in your life and in my life. It can judge our thoughts and our intentions of the heart. The Bible can expose what only the reader knows about himself and herself. But guess what? It even exposes and knows the things you don't know about yourself. And that's why you need it so desperately. It strips us down, makes us naked before God. It allows us to see ourselves for the very first time as God sees us. The Bible renders the death blow to our pride, our self-righteousness, our self-sufficiency, and our self-flattery. And listen to me. You say, well, who wants to read that? Understand, there is no salvation 
without such heart-rending conviction in our lives. Jesus is not just some addition that you invite into your heart and to take him along on your ride. He is the one you bow before and you get on board with him and you go on the ride he has for you. And you won't do that and I won't do that until we have the word of God do its divine surgery. It is a sword. It is a sword that pierces but just let me remind you, and we could spend a whole day on this. That very same sword that does surgery on your heart and my heart is also, according to Ephesians chapter 6, it is the only weapon we have in our spiritual warfare. When Paul tells uh, the Ephesians about the spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, and, and all these parts to, the, to our armor for spiritual warfare. The only weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God and prayer. So it is something that pierces us, yes, and does surgery on our hearts, yes, but then we are capable of wielding it in using it to serve God and to fight for Him in this world. It is a sword that pierces. It is a mirror that reveals a mirror that reveals. James, the brother of our Lord, said, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. God's word is that mirror. As it pierces and opens up and exposes your thoughts and intents, then it holds a mirror up for you to see for yourself how you truly are not as you think you are not as you wish you are but as you actually are one writer said as i read this book as i read this book it felt like someone was reading my heart and it wasn't cheering me and applauding me in order to flatter me this book was giving me the accurate picture within my soul of who i truly am and of my desperate need of grace. Can I say to you, without investing time in God's Word, you will never realize how desperate you are for grace. But God's Word will not only expose who you are, it will bring you to the great physician who can make all of that as it needs to be. It is a mirror that reveals. It is also a seed that reproduces, a seed that reproduces. First Peter chapter one, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. How are we saved? How are we born again? Not of anything of this world, perishable seed, but imperishable seed, which is the Word of God. A perishable seed can only produce after its own kind. What you get from the world will only reproduce the world in you. Apple seeds do not produce pickup trucks. You say, well, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard you say, Pastor. Well, okay, then take it to heart. 
The things of this world will not produce the things of God in your life. It's a fundamental principle in life. Like produces like. It would be easier to produce oak trees from planting marbles than it would for someone to be saved without the planting of the imperishable seed of God's word in their hearts. Folks, listen. In ministry, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We have no time here to spend time together on secular humanism. We have no time to tickle people's ears with pop psychology or worldly trends or religious tradition or corporate leadership or cultural ideologies or philosophical thoughts of personal experiences or political commentary. If you preach all of that stuff, you're going to reap an unconverted church. But if we sow the living and enduring word of God under the truth of the sovereignty of God, God who alone can cause those seeds to germinate, you'll produce a regenerate church. Spurgeon said, I would rather speak five words out of this book than 50,000 of the philosophers. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. And if we want conversions, we must put more of God's Word into our sermons. That's the only seed that will reproduce life, spiritual life. It is a seed that reproduces. It is also milk that nourishes. Also in 1 Peter, we find this truth. Maybe it's one of the first verses you ever memorized. It was for me. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I used to read that wrongly and understand it, uh, not what it was saying. I, I thought it was like an example. Hey, like newborn babes, like newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, but that's not what he's saying. He's giving a command here. This is an imperative. Like newborn babies, you long for the pure milk of the word. He's commanding his hearers. Long for God's word. And if you say, well, I don't have a longing for God. Get in it and stay in it till you do long for it. Long for the word of God. That is a command of scripture. It's not just a stated truth. Understand this, no one's spiritual development will ever advance beyond their intake of the Word of God. Like milk, it nourishes. It is a lamp that shines. Psalm 119, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, it's not really a chapter, but it's like a chapter. It's a psalm. It's the longest chapter or division in all of God's Word. Did you know that? It's 150 verses, and it deals exclusively with the Word of God. That's all it's talking about. It's the power of the Word, the meaning of the Word, the value of the Word. Folks, we live in a very dark world. 
and it's getting darker every single day. There are many dangers that threaten the safety of all who will seek to walk the narrow path that leads to life. We need light to help us. Jesus is the light of the world, and his word is the light, the lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Now notice he didn't say, your word is a light to my heart. He didn't say your word is a light to my, mo- my mind. It already presupposes that. But where does the mind and where does the heart live itself out? It lives itself out with its feet walking the pathway of God. If you have something, if you have God and God's word in your mind and God's word in your heart, it is naturally translated to your feet where you go how you go, the way you go, and why you walk that pathway. It's what lightens the way for you. And so the Word of God is your lamp. You're having a hard time at school. You're being bullied. You have temptations, things in front of you that you don't know how, that that you can do the right thing. God's Word is the lamp for your feet. Are you facing things in your work? where you're being expected to support things or to do things that are contrary to what you know is true in Scripture and right for your life, God's Word will guide your feet to the right decision, whatever it is. Struggling in your marriage? Not sure it'll make it another year? Your only hope is the Word of God. Oh yes, God may use a a counselor here and there, a pastor here and there, but ultimately it is God's Word and God's Word alone that will guide you. It is a lamp that shines. It is a fire that consumes. Jeremiah 23, the Lord said, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire? This fire consumes and burns up all that it comes into contact with that is resistant to the Word of God. Everything that resists God's Word, God's Word will eat it up, burn it up like fire. The context of Jeremiah 23 is about false prophets. And these false prophets have been saying all the wrong things. And Jeremiah comes along inspired by God and God says this to false prophets and to people who resist the truth of God and the word of God. God will consume the prophets who prophesy falsely. God promises judgment and punishment for every idea that exalts itself against God, whether it's from the mouth of a prophet or in the mind of you. God's Word will consume it. You see, the message that we preach from God's Word will either cause people, now follow me here, to be blessed or to be burned. I know that doesn't sound very appealing. But if I tried to appeal you to Christ without giving you the truth of His Word, It wouldn't be good for either of us. God's word will cause people to either be on fire or in the fire, ultimately. 
That's just the truth. There's no place for anything in between. There is no, listen to me, child of God, there is no negotiating a position in between. Either you must be on fire for God or be in the fire when this life is over. And sometimes you and I, because it doesn't always make our families happy, because it doesn't always make for a real pleasurable Christmas, because we have people in our family that reject the truth of God. They say they've experienced it, and they say they believe it. They're just not going to live for it. And we feel like we have to soften our message and soften our tone and soften our words in order not to offend them. Folks, listen to me. You're either going to be on fire for God or be in the fire. God's word is a fire that consumes and it is. This is the last example. I could go on. There are many others. It is a hammer that shatters. Same verse in Jeremiah 23. My word is like a hammer which shatters a rock. There is no force in the world that compares with the shattering force of the word of God. It will overcome all resistance in the day of his power. It is better for it to overcome your resistance now than for you to resist until the day he comes because then it will be too late. What is preaching? It is weak men standing in the pulpit with a sledgehammer bringing the force of the word of God. That's how one man defined it. I am a weak man. I am weak in so many ways that you don't need to know about. And I pray to God that his word will be power enough that if I speak it honestly, if I bring it to bear upon the heart that is resistant, that ultimately not my words but God's words will shatter pride, crush and smash self-righteousness. One preacher said this, lost sinners are like a rock, hard-headed and hard-hearted, with foreheads like flint. They are uncircumcised of heart. They have a heart of stone that is resistant to the truth of God. Their lives and hearts are unresponsive to the things of God. They are spiritually dead. How will they ever be brought to humility before the throne of grace? It is by this invincible weapon, the Word of God. <clears throat> God's Word is a sword that pierces, a mirror that reveals, a seed that reproduces, milk that nourishes, a lamp that shines, a fire that consumes, a hammer that shatters. It is also bread that gives nourishment. It is water that gives life. Do you want me to go on? I presume not. Let me leave you with this key truth. Your relationship with God will be determined by your relationship with His Word. Your relationship with God will be determined by your relationship with His Word. I believe that could be said even stronger. 
I believe your relationship with God will never be any better than your relationship with His Word. So how is your relationship with God's Word today? Understand, your perspective on life, your worldview, your philosophy about life and how to live it, all of these and more will be shaped by something. You don't just come up with stuff on your own. More specifically, it will be shaped by what we read, by what we watch, by what we play, by what we experience, or something else. Or it will be shaped by God's truth and God's word, either shaped by the world or shaped by this inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word. So the question I leave you with, what will you do in 2023 to grow in your relationship with God? By growing in your knowledge of His Word. On the back of your worship guide, you have eight or nine plans to follow to read the Word of God. Will you make a commitment right here before you leave this room this morning? Recommit yourself for another year. Some of you are already doing this. Some of you never have. Make a commitment that you're going to be faithfully in the Word of God at least some, some amount of time every day. You don't have to read through all the Bible. Read through the New Testament. Follow one of those plans. Look for help. Find your accountability partner. Get with others and make it a discipline for your life. Let's do a reset. I completed the Bible day before yesterday. Today is another day and another year. You know what? I've already looked and saw. I know what it's going to say in those three chapters, first three chapters of Genesis, but I'm going to read it anticipating God to speak to me in some new way before the sun sets today to begin the journey all over again. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.